This episode is brought to you by Haymakers Community Engagement Consultants. If you run a business or nonprofit working to make the world a better place, then visit wemakehay.com to see how Haymakers can help. This episode is also sponsored by RuralOrganizing.org. RuralOrganizing.org has been equipping and empowering rural changemakers since 2012. Visit RuralOrganizing.org for more information. Okay, okay, keep looking up! Okay. This is Flyover Book, a podcast exploring the progressive arts, culture, and politics of rural America. I'm no longer trying to translate country music for city people. I'm trying to write songs for queer kids in red states and for country people who live in the city. They say, like, that's why um, Hank Williams and Dolly Parton and uh, Johnny Cash are, like, beloved in strange parts of the world not strange but unexpected places like you know aboriginal australia or you know because it's about oh remember when we all lived in the country and none of us lived in the city hi and welcome to season two of flyover folk on today's episode we're talking about creativity small towns big cities and the rural diaspora today's guest is eric holm he's a singer and songwriter from brookings south dakota my hometown now living in Brooklyn, New York. I'm Matt Hildreth. You're listening to Flyover Folk, exploring progressive arts, culture, and politics of rural America. Uh, Eric, thanks so much for uh, for thanks so much for taking you know some time to talk with us on the first episode of season two of Flyover Folk. I'm excited to have you. Yeah, thanks so much for inviting me to to chat with you. It's really and cool. I. <laughs> and I, it's a little bit like I don't know if it's full circle or what, but you know, <laughs> for 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 those that don't know, which is probably everybody, we went to high school together in uh, yeah. Brookings, South Dakota, and so I don't know that I've seen you in person in it's been probably years. Yeah, that's right, years and years. <laughs> it's so, so cool to hear about what you're working on now and what you're doing. This is really great. Well, yeah, and it's uh, it's cool to hear what you're working on. And I to, just you know, for some context, I was. Uh, driving home for the holidays, I had to go visit my 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 parents and my sister, who you know well. Yep. Uh, s- sent me a recording of uh, you on South Dakota Public Radio, <laughs> and said, "Hey, you have to check this out." And um, I put it on in the car as we were driving from Chicago to Minneapolis, and uh, and and really enjoyed it. So I think okay. I, I I messaged you ha- about halfway through because I was so excited. I just had to reach out. So. Um, so maybe let's give some context for what you're doing. So yeah. do, do you want to maybe just say, I mean, like last I saw you, uh, we were in high school together. So yeah. maybe that's that's a good place to start. Oh, man. Well, uh, yeah, in high school, I was really, um, you know, small town South Dakota, and I was really hungry for, uh, for the city. And uh, I didn't know whether I wanted to be a theater person or a music person. And, um, you know, I was doing a lot of musicals uh, in the high school and that sort of thing. And um, ended up going to acting school in Minneapolis and, and being so hungry. I mean, I remember my senior year being uh, so hungry for what I perceived of as uh, city life and, um, you know, liberal people and uh, gay people and people of color and um, in my mind. And... Um, and sure enough, you know, I went away and did acting and then um, moved to New York City to do directing school. And um, and then somewhere around the end of my grad school uh, in like 2014, I came back to South Dakota in August, notably. You know, it was super beautiful and wonderful. And I fell in love with um, with South Dakota and with the Great Plains in a way that felt really new and uh, fresh to me and didn't feel uh, attached to nostalgia, you know? And um, and then since then, and especially given kind of the um, horrifying political context that we find ourselves in, um, I've just been thinking more and more about the, the city-country divide and um, my place in it and my responsibility uh, to maybe be a bridge or something. And so, and in that time, I've also fallen in love in a way that I never 
that I've never felt uh, with country music and with um, kind of the the idea of of country music, which I guess has to do with telling stories and doing things simply and um, a relationship with home and a relationship with uh, you know the country and the I think nature and I, there's just a lot of things I love about um, country music that I wasn't capable of loving when I was a teenager, you know, when I wanted punk rock and <laughs> and queer people and show tunes, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I mean, I think one thing that you that you've said and I've heard it in the past and I just heard it again that has really stood out to me and it really made me stop and think was this idea of of rediscovering or reengaging um, where we grew up, small town South Dakota, yeah, in a, in a way that was not nostalgic, and um, that really hit me because you know I moved back for a number of years, and I I moved back after living in Washington D.C. for 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 a few years, and mm-hmm. uh, I remember I used to um, <laughs> this is kind of funny, but uh, I'd be sitting in my office in D.C., staring out the window, looking at the brick wall right outside my window of the building right next to us. <laughs> and I was listening to, um, uh, I think it's KJQ 102, the the the, the country music station. Right back home, I was I was I would play play it on the internet, you know, in my headphones while I was working. Um, and I remember like one day it was just a particularly horrible day of dealing with traffic and all that, and. Um, the Little League scores came on the radio from back Whoa. home, and it was so it was such a like the 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 contrast between you know my day to day and then this idea of like oh back home there you know Little League scores are, are news, um, so I really got this sense of nostalgia and I and I wanted to move back but um, but when I did it it was it was it was very different than I remembered, um, right. and so I, I'm curious to hear a little bit more about what you mean when you when you say that like you kind of rediscovered it almost for the first time. Um, or, or at least that's how I was taking it, but taking that, but could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. I mean, one, I think one thing, um, is just being an adult and making your own decisions, you know? And I think, um, there's something as simple as just running your own life. But uh, I guess what I found that I didn't see before was, um, this relationship with the emptiness of the place, of the actual environment, you know? Yeah. And um, not so much with the small town. And I love Brookings, and Brookings is actually an, an amazing small town in a million ways. Um, but the thing that made me fall in love again, afresh, with South Dakota was Lake Ponset, and it was the birds, and it was the getting up for sunrise out of excitement, you know? And um, it's not to say that, I mean, I also absolutely love the people of Brookings and of my hometown, but um, I think what a relationship with like solitude and with the solitary and with, um, with nature, with the rhythm of life and how, how different summer is from winter, you know, that sort of thing that, I think got really overlooked in the kind of, um, you know, busy life of contemporary high school, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if that answers your question, I guess. Yeah, no, it does. It does. And I think that that's, I, you know, I think I had a, a similar, uh, reaction. It wasn't just to what was there. It was to what was not there, <laughs> you know, moving back and, um, and I and I and I think I I don't know I I I I think that that makes sense to me. And do do you feel like, um, do you feel like people back home know what they have in that regards, or does it take leaving to kind of understand it better? I think that's something I I think about a lot as somebody who goes back and forth between the city and the country a, a lot, a fair amount lately. Um you want to bring the best practices of both cultures and to say that it's a different culture, I think is really real. Um, and you know, there's a kind of listening that a kind of, um, 
thoughtful, intellectual Brooklyn theater nerd crowd can bring to um, to a performance that is very different than a than somebody who has less experience with it. But there's also a kind of slow culture and a kind of patience and generosity of spirit that people from the country have naturally, you know? And um, I think about the kind of violence that we're doing to ourselves with contemporary stress and um, the demanding attention marketplace of our phones and our and the internet and um, you know the kind of new addic uh, new addiction to um, connectivity or you know kind of to society as an abstract thing like what will people think of me today when I post this picture of myself um, that I think uh, you don't find in in Brookings or in at Ponset you find people talking about you know, is the ice hard? Is the, are the fish right. biting? Um, is it going to be cold? When is it going to rain? Which is, you could say is boring, but I think it's also in better touch with what's happening, what's actually happening. Um, anyways, yeah, you, you got, you hit one of my obsessions, which is these differences and similarities, um, what we can offer each other, you know? Yeah, and I'm I'm wondering just to dig into that in a, a little bit more. I I do want to hear you uh, play a couple of your songs. Sure. But but, but while we're talking about um, kind of the rural urban divide, I mean, you've experienced that probably at least geographically just about as much as anybody could. I mean, we have some friends in maybe West River, South Dakota, that would be more rural. Uh, right. And then moving but moving from South Dakota, from Brookings to Brooklyn um, is yeah. about is about as, as much of a divide as you can get. What 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 do they miss in each other? What what can Brookings offer Brooklyn and, and what can Brooklyn offer offer Brookings? Um, sometimes I think that I should wear a T-shirt in New York that says, like, conspicuously friendly Midwesterner. You know, like, don't right, be afraid right, right. to um, to smile and nod and and gesticulate and um, hug because I am I come from a kind of bubbly, you know, church basement loving stock, you know, right? Um, and the the amount of time I think that uh, a New Yorker needs. Um, before you really trust each other uh, is different. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it has to do with the fact that we're meeting new people constantly. And it's sort of strange to go to an event where you don't meet a new person or have an opportunity to meet a new person. And that's kind of thrilling, but it's also kind of exhausting. And I think that you know, the, the South Dakotan energy of slowness and not rushing, um, of listening and not necessarily leaping forward with the clever idea um, um, I, is something. Uh, and, of course, there are plenty of South Dakotans who aren't good at that. You know what I mean? We're generalizing yeah, right. here. Right. I do think that um, something that, at least in my community of in South Dakota is a major challenge is that even if we aren't all alike, we kind of assume that we're all alike. We all sort of assume about one another, a certain kind of, to, of, of similar life experience. Even the very richest people in the small town, South Dakota try to sort of act like they're middle-class and even the poorest people sort of try to act like they're, middle class, you know? Yep. And I think that if you live in New York for any amount of time, I think two or three months, you just get this lived sense that it's okay that we're different. It's okay that we don't believe the same things. It's okay that we have different backgrounds, you know? And right. I think it's really... Um, I still think it's really palpable how much differences are pointed up 
and talked about and discussed and even in a kind of small talk it's kind of there's if somebody's different uh weird hair or tattoos or you know different a different background different skin color um south dakotans will kind of warmly and ignorantly want to talk about how different you are and how weird it is i think is kind of the undertone right Maybe I'm being a little unfair, you know, again, we're playing with general generalizations here, but, um, you know, there's that, that meme that went around the internet of uh, a drag queen in full makeup and full hair, regalia, um, sitting next to a woman with a full niqab, you know, just her eyes showing, and uh, on the New York subway, and somebody says, this is the future that liberals want you know, drag queens yeah. and Muslims. Yeah. Yeah. And the and the New Yorkers all around me said, Yeah, exactly. You can be a drag queen. You can be a religious person. You don't have to hate each other for being a drag queen or being a religious person. You right. know, we can sit together on the subway. We can respect one another's differences. You know, my dad's triangle of ethics says you gotta be kind, you gotta be honest, and you gotta respect other people's choices. It's not always up to you what other people do with their with their bodies you know bodily autonomy is a a, a thing that new yorkers get right. um you have the freedom to swing your fist until it hits my face and then you don't have that freedom anymore you know um and i think that there's so many ways that we in small town societies uh police each other um in a way that makes me sad makes me want yeah. freedom for, for right. everyone to be weird in New York, yeah. let your freak flag fly, as they say. And <laughs> what a what a delicious feeling to be as weird as you actually are. And who cares? Yeah. We're all we're all weird. It doesn't matter, right? Um, well, yeah, I don't know I, if that I, speaks to your. That's yeah, kind no, of, it's it it is it is, and I think that that's. I mean, you know, not to get all agriculture here, but. Um, whether you're talking about the prairie or you're talking about your, um, you know, your your herd of cattle or whatever, I mean, it, it, it biologically, I think that we're just the the more that you have the similarities in a community, uh, it can kind of kill you. You know, you, the resilience comes from diversity. It comes from, you know, different characteristics from folks that have. Um, you know, difference of opinions, differences of perspective. Right. Uh, when you when you see the small towns that are, are are thriving, I think they're able to incorporate and take advantage of those different perspectives. Right. And and that div- diversity is what makes it resilient. And you know, um, I'll, I'll I'll spare a whole you know uh, soapbox about <laughs> pra- the diversity among prairie grasses. But it but it's true. I mean, it, it, <laughs> it, 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 it's it's true. It's true. You know. Um, yeah ethically and and uh, and it's it's true scientifically i think so and i i have to say i mean i've lived in a, a few different small towns and and brookings is you know we're, we're using that because that's our common experience but right. brookings is better than a, than a lot um but but even in little ways when people start um allowing for diversity of opinions um i've seen it i was just recently living in a town of 800 people and you know there's differences of opinion about how you put what kind of street uh downtown they should you know uh renovate or whatever they you know fixing up their downtown and it was just like watching watching them make that collective decision was so interesting because i think the tendency was to just get in line and think like everybody else but there was a few people that had some you know differences of opinions and they got them through and it the 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 city's going to be better for it for for years to come so yeah but but this is something i've i've heard in your music uh do you have a song that kind of touches on on this topic of of uh of kind of being different in a small town? Yeah, um, I've got a song I wrote. Let me just make sure this uh, here guitar is in okay shape. Yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm, I've been writing songs that I'm, I'm calling queer leftist country music, which is something I, I find lacking in, uh, in uh, country music in its history and in its contemporary practice, which is kind of out uh, queer folks. I'm, I'm a bisexual guy. And, um, we know, we're, there's, there's more than just me. That person who first told me about the concept of slow culture 
uh, was an art professor at South Dakota State. His name is Norman Gambill, Dr. Norman Gambill. He died not last summer, but the summer before, summer of 2016. And um, I bring him up because he retired from SDSU at 70 and came out of the closet. Oh, wow. And um, it's one of these things where I did have a queer role model growing up. I just didn't know. Yeah. Um, so anyways, he, he sort of shows up in this song. And here we go. It's called Queer Kids in Red State. dancing on TV She knew her mom didn't like Ellen But dancing was something she wanted to see Dancing was something she had to see The summer he turned 13 dog wear his mom's red shoes and say we're not Kansas anymore we're not Kansas anymore you may feel alone but I swear it's not the case you can make it through I'm talking to you queer kids in red state end their senior year they weren't a girl they weren't a boy to learn of a thing called gender queer well it spikes their senior year with joy it filled their queer little heart with joy won't you listen to uncle dan it can get better i know that it don't you quit, you can make it right If you learn to breathe or learn to leave Or learn how to stay and fight He came out at 70 Retiring from the university He didn't know what would come to be But i never seen him so young and free Never seen him so young and free. You may feel alone, but I swear it's not the case. You can make it through. I'm talking you, queer kids in red state. That's really good, actually. I, I haven't heard that one before, and I think that's that's what I think that's my favorite at this point. Oh, cool, thanks, man. Thanks, Matt. So, uh, the thing I like about country music is there's always a story, um, and and you got you got into a little bit of, uh, you know, one of the stories in that song. But I, I'm also curious to hear more about you know your story, and uh, you know sometimes there's, um, like, especially in country music there's always kind of a greater story that the smaller story story re represents and i'm wondering you know as you're writing that song what what are the things you're thinking about yeah i think i think no matter where you're from it's uh it's shitty to feel trapped <laughs> i don't know if we're using foul language here but uh that's that's how i feel i think um 
I think there's something about uh, being in a, in a small town society and uh, even if your parents are very accepting, you know that if you go to school and, you know, at, now I have long hair past my shoulders and uh, sometimes I paint my fingernails and that would not have been okay, you know, it would have been, it would have placed me in, in danger. And, um, you know, when I, when I was a teenager and I was sort of contemplating my sexuality and being, being, you know, accused of being gay because I was a theater person, I searched my feelings and I was so relieved that I was attracted to women, you know, and I thought like, ah, oh, what a relief, I'm not gay, you know, and I didn't have to think about, um, you know, the part of me that that was interested in guys and um, the part of me that was um, the part of me that was gay. You know what I mean? I, what a relief that I can set that aside. And it was only, you know, years later that I sort of allowed myself to uh, admit that to myself. So, but I think coming out is a paradigm uh, that queer people gave to, to everybody and that it's really a proposal about radical honesty. Um, it says, not only am I like this, but I need to tell you. You need to know. Um, if you love me, then you need to know this aspect of me. I'm not going to hide this aspect of me for your benefit. It doesn't benefit for you, for me to lie to you, you know? So I think that radical honesty can come in lots of forms, and I think the ways that progressives uh, have to censor themselves in in red places is another form of being closeted you know yeah that was yeah. a whole pile of things i don't know if that answered your question no but. no it, it, that's exactly kind of what i was getting at and and i think that radical honesty is um is is i i think like you said it is core you know in, in a lot of ways to, 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 to different struggles that folks are going through. Um, and I think that as a, as a progressive, this is probably a, a, a very bad comparison. Uh, so forgive me of that, but as, sure. you know, as a, as a, as a progressive, I mean, um, I think that it was, it was, it was weird for me to, to, to realize that I, that I like, um, places like south dakota right. you know what i mean like i i, I left when right, i went totally. to the city I, I thought i was going to be a city person and that's what i wanted to be and then i started like missing things you know yeah and um and i think that 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 feeling of not being able to to go back home or yeah. or this idea that you have to reject it you have to reject where you came from right. is something that that, that that a lot of people struggle with and i think that's one of the reasons i like your story so much is because um not are you, not only are you discovering and exploring areas around your your uh sexual identity your and your sexuality you're you're kind of rediscovering um your roots um which i think is really reflected in in the type of music that you are, yeah. are playing and and you're singing and and i'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about about that i mean there's a lot of different ways to express um the sentiments that you did in that song but to do it in country that seems to be um, extra special. And I'm wondering if you could talk about why you chose that sort of historical context, that, that genre of music to express the ideas that you're having. Sure. Um, it started, uh, it started as kind of a guilty pleasure when I would be back in South Dakota for any amount of time. What fun to go driving in the car because in New York, I don't have a car, you know? And, um, I would listen to country music and it felt sort of like, ah, what the red states, this is red state pop, you know, yeah. like, oh, I'm going to do my research and I'm going to learn about the politics. And sure enough, embedded in all sorts of countries, music, contemporary country music, um, are kind of horrendous politics, like disgusting pro oil, yeah. uh, you know, kind of jingoistic, patriotic. Uh, stuff, yeah, and then also uh, hidden in are sentiments that um, that I find really 
leftists. Like, um, you don't need money to be happy. <laughs> or, right. um, you know, love is all you need. Or, um, you know, I, I don't need much to, to feel joyous, you know, or to feel full of praise, which is almost a religious thing, you know, like all I need is this moon and this pickup and my friends and this beer. Um, and there's that one song that goes, um, I got gas in my truck and butter in my biscuit. I've always gotten the money for my scratch off ticket. And I was like, that's amazing. And the whole thing, the, the, the punchline is, and, you know, it's often got, it's very clear lyrics, sort of like Broadway. Broadway and country music have that in common, that you yeah. can understand everything on the first listen, yeah. which is something that rock and roll gave up on, I guess. You know, like we don't have to yeah. understand it all. And even some of my favorite, you know, what we would call indie folk, like um, Bon Iver's first record, which is, you know, stunning. But yep. you can't understand him, you know, and that's right. okay. It's it bears out more upon repetition, and it's it's sonic yeah. and it's creaking. But there's, if you heard it on the radio, you couldn't say a single word. Maybe you could say my 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 my. Yeah, it, right. I mean, I love that song. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I was intrigued by how much I enjoyed the understanding the argument of the song even as I hated the argument of the song. So I made up right. a satirical version that goes, it's like a hipster version that goes like, I got new tires on my bike, spaghetti in my kitchen. I've always got the money for my morning coffee itching. Come Friday, I'm so broke, you might think I would say forget it. But all my friends are artists, get me complimentary tickets. I got a little reefer and my brother's in the band making art all week puts this tall boy in my hand you know it's like I'll, let me just translate it i'll just translate um the the politics and the concept of i work hard all week for this pleasure at the end of the week with my friends that's universal yeah um, it is but you wrap it up in i got gas in my truck and butter on my biscuit and then it's meant to be ex it's meant to be exclusively for yeah uh, non-city culture yeah and in a way it's actually saying screw you pointy-headed people who don't understand the pleasure of a scratch-off ticket right and um i wanted to turn that around or whatever but n now i feel like it's more about trying to reconcile rather than a satirical you know what i mean so yeah. i'm not trying to i'm no longer trying to translate country music for city people i'm trying to write songs for queer kids in red states and for country people who live in the city they say like that's why um hank williams and dolly parton and uh johnny cash are like beloved in strange parts of the world not strange but unexpected places like you know aboriginal australia or you know because it's about Oh, remember when we all lived in the country and none of us lived in the city? It's this huh. kind of nostalgic longing for your country, you know, your country porch. Um, mm. There's a kind of longing for the past, a like make America great again longing in country music. And I wanted to say, yeah, but I long for the future, you know? Yeah. I, I'm not longing for some faraway place. I'm longing for a time when Christianity isn't, doesn't advocate violence or I'm advocating a time when proud Republicans hated Nazis, you know? Right. So, um, which is a, you know, a future time too. It's not about yeah. the past always. Yeah. And I, I have to say, I mean, I, I was, I was a little bit, um, maybe I hit it. Maybe I didn't. I mean, I grew up a little bit on a farm uh, and was a avid Garth Brooks, Garth Brooks fan through the nineties. And I remember back, um, you know, do you remember the song we shall be free? A little bit, a little bit. I don't know it's, Garth as well as I want to, but <laughs> well, he, I, I bring it up because, you know, you're talking about the politics of country music and I, and I really felt like that changed, uh, after September 11th. I mean, for our generation, at least like right. this whole Toby Keith, remember that whole song about, um, oh. Beer for my horses, and they're gonna hang people from trees. I mean, just this 
crazy, crazy things that I just don't even think would be accepted now. But in that moment of of post 9-11, you know, they were. And but if you think back to the 90 early 90s and I, I wonder if Garth Brooks, I mean, now he's touring again. I don't know if he plays it, but he has a song called We Shall Be Free. And it was sort of foundational to me as a you know kid growing up in the early 90s. And there's a line about, you know, the whole thing is, um, you know, this this kind of like early 90s. We are the world. Right. Lyrics. And it talks about I mean, it's really one of the most leftist songs that I've heard. I mean, it's 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 borderline Pete Seeger. And it talks about, you know, <laughs> when the, when the last child cries for a crust of bread, when the last man dies for just words that he said, when there's shelter over the poorest head, we shall be free. And and there's a line in there that says, when we're free to love uh, anyone we choose. And it was specifically a line about, you know, a line to the gay community. And boy, oh boy, were there protests and boycotts really? and, you know, people were burning the records. This is, you know, early 90s, so it was CDs or tapes. Right. But, um, but he was saying that back then, and I, I had forgotten that for years right. uh, until I went back and was, you know, kind of having this nostalgic moment, like you said. And I was like, wow. And, I, you know, it really hit me that, um, that, that country music has a long history of at least populist angst. And, you know, listen to Towns Van Zandt and, you know, right. Steve Earle and some of those, right. some of those guys. Oh, and, I love those and, guys. And, or Dolly, you know, and or, or just the history of coal mining um, and and its connection to country music is just yeah. so pronounced. Yeah. And I, I think that that's something that I've really rediscovered um, in, in the last few years is, you know, just simple things like old time songs like Union Made um or you know, or, or or songs like that that were uh, very much connected to who people were, and it was the music was not about the radio, it wasn't about um, you know television, it wasn't about anything like that. It was about the front porch, and it was sort of how these values were communicated. Now, granted, there's a lot of like <laughs> really really bad uh, you know kind of old school country songs that are just you know um, highlight how how problematic some things were. Uh, sure. like not not yeah. non-white males but but um but well but and women i mean there's uh, just a right. great deal of oh man how yeah. many songs about like come here little girl like oh yeah come here baby right. to sit on my lap right. or whatever i mean there's sure right right um so i don't i think it's important to not blow past that but there were people pushing back in contemporarily to that to that stuff um, yeah. and i think that there's i I've, I've been excited to 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 dig more into those types of uh, musicians uh, I mean, it's. I'm so fascinated by that. You know, Woody Guthrie's uh, "This Machine Kills Fascists" on the side of his guitar, and uh, you know, something I didn't know until uh, I read this wonderful book about country music. Oh man, now its author is. He's a Vanderbilt professor. He lives in Nashville, and he teaches about the history of country music. He wrote a great book, and one thing I didn't know is that Hank Williams called himself a folk singer that we didn't separate folk and country until Pete Seeger was hauled up in front of the House Un-American Activities Committee. Interesting. And then as soon as New York leftist Jewish folk musicians were associated with the communists, that's when Nashville said, we're not that, we're not that, we're not that, we're country. We're country right. and Western, we're not folk. And, um, but that, you know, Hank Williams' whole career was redefined after his death. You know, he only became a hero after his death. And that uh, it was used uh, to commercialize this uh, non-political or anti-left uh, worldview that was not a part of the music as it was being, you know, as it was being born. As, the, as Woody and and Hank were writing those songs. It was it was not um, it was not scary to fight for the working man, you know. And it was not scary to sing. You know, Jimmy Rogers hung out with Louis Armstrong. They made music together. Right. Uh, the idea of a famous country singer in the seventies having a duet with like you know Sun Ra or John Coltrane, it wouldn't happen by then the split the racial split was really intense 
Right. Um, and I think it has so much to do with Nixon, the Southern strategy, and stoking of white resentment. Right. Anyways, it just well, it, do, it does pain me, and 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 hurt that a lot of these working class ideas about like let's stick together based on how we are the same has been become a, a racial wedge issue it's like let's stick together because we're the same because we're white people you know right well well this this idea of of of, of engaging in morals and ethics and and fighting for the working class that's something else that i've, I've heard in your music do you have a, another song that you could sing that maybe touches on that well, um, I've got I've got one that um, that is about it's a generational song and it it's um, it's about American veterans um, over time. Uh, I, should I sing you that one? It's called "Grandpa Would Have Been So Mad." Yeah, that that would be great. So. Um, Yeah, this is about how things have changed and um, are changing and what, what, what must we do? Grandpa would have been so mad. My daddy's dad caught a ride on a magic carpet ship Rode home in 1945 with a bullet in his hip would have followed Eisenhower to the belly of the sun Fought a nasty conflict with the bottle Another war he won He never liked to talk a lot about the things he saw He hated Nazis even more than he loved Omaha Sort of glad he's not around to see him rise from the underground. Good God, his anger would have been profound to see the soul of his party getting dead and drowned. Go from something good, something oh so bad. Grandpa would have been so mad. brother had a real long hair and he smoked that silly stuff and even though he felt that it wasn't fair well his number wasn't high enough his hair was short his heart was scared when he landed in saigon and in the end he lost a leg but he found his best friend john they never liked to talk a lot about the things they saw John and Jacob loved to laugh about basic in Louisiana. Now John passed on by his own hand, and now Jacob has a hard time understanding. They said her dumb war was to take a stand, keep a Russian dictatorship from expanding. Now the new boss loves the new Russian lunatic. God, it would have made John sick. God, I would have made John sick. Well, good old Kate, she was my prom date, but she never was more than a friend. And even though we, uh, she went to ROTC at State, I studied art at the U of M. And something changed in both of our brains on the day the towers fell. War gave us different kinds of urgency, ringing out like a bell. She never liked to talk a lot about the things she saw. But one drunk night she opened up about the bottle of Bacubac. It sure is hard to overstate how it broke my heart to hear how she hated the new people coming into our state. Border wall that she advocated, and it made me wonder what is happening to my friend. How is it gonna end? 
How is it gonna end? One day if you say you gotta punch a Nazi Good God, I hope you do But they say there's a beast in everyone I hope you learn to soothe her too What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? I love that one. I've heard that. I've heard that one before, um, and 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 I absolutely love it. Um, so that last line is actually what I wanted to ask you next. What <laughs> what what are we gonna do? I mean, you you have a good perspective on um, a, a number of different issues facing the country, but also facing rural communities. And so I'm, I'm curious if you, you know where 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 would you start in all this? Well, I guess what I would say to city people is there are a few things that that shut down everybody's ears quicker than when you use the term flyover states. It's just hurtful, you know? I don't use the word offensive anymore because it's gotten totally ruined and co-opted and, you know, the right wing is very quick to be like, oh, I'm so sorry I offended you with my words, you know? Um, that old thing that we used to say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's a, it's not true, you know? It's not useful and it's not true. We can really hurt each other. And, um, you know, I think that when country people think of city people and they think, oh, they just hate us and they just dismiss us and they aren't capable of empathy. That's not true either, you know? City people are struggling and, um, you know, the, the stress of contemporary life, the anxiety of the, the, the rush and the rat race, um, it's really hard on us. And I just think that, you know, both populations need more, uh, more empathic imagination. Um, I just think, you know, I, there's some right-wing guy, um, I'm not gonna, who cares, I don't want to give him the traffic, but there's some right-wing guy who, uh, who says that this year has really changed him, that a lot of things that he used to think weren't true, he realized were true, you know what I mean? Which is, you know, that police get away with killing people, and men get away with abusing people, abusing women. And, um, you know, we just have to deal with the things that are actually happening, you know? That whole concept of, like, you're not entitled to separate facts. Mm -hmm. um, so, <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying anything new here. I do think that, you know, after the election happened, I said, I can't in good faith do live theater only for New Yorkers. I have to do other things too. I have to do other kind of work too. Because I can't have my only audience be people who um, agree with me already, you know? So that's when I decided I needed to make sort of recorded art and uh, the way that recorded art can be shared and can go to places that you know, even if you don't go physically, the art can still go, you know, mm -hmm. be re reproducible. Mm -hmm. But I think that the opposite is true, too, that the theater is important because we get in the room together. Um, I think community theater in small towns is really important. I think being together in community and laughing together, hearing a story together, applauding together, gasping together, um, you know... I mean, I think country people need to don't just sit at home, go to the movie theater. Even the movie theater is different than sitting at home in front of your cable, you know? Mm -hmm. But um, 
Okay, so now I, I, I may have lost my train here, but does that, I guess I don't want to lecture everybody. <laughs> I, do, I do want to say, you know, that um, white men have to get better at thinking of things in, from other points of view. We, we all have to, you know, we all have to, we white men have to get better at seeing the world from other points of view. And the work is far from done, you know? And, um, you know, it's like they say in high school choir, listen louder than you sing. I know I've been, like, talking too much here, but <laughs> um, I think that if we can all do a better job of shutting up for a second and acknowledging that this other person is, they too are a person, um, I think that would go a long way to a, to a better situation. Well, I appreciate you taking the time uh, to chat. And um, before we go, obviously, we need to let people know where they can find you online and, and listen yeah. to more of your music. So where do people go to, li to, to listen to your stuff? Well, I'm in process. I'm, I'm, finishing, a first, I'm finishing a first record. So uh, it's not out yet, but yeah, keep your ears peeled, I guess. Uh, in the spring, I'll be releasing my first debut album. So in the meantime, you can listen to my children's music, uh, Teacher Eric, <laughs> and have something available for young people. If you've got some young people in your life, uh, Teacher, er Teacher Eric at Bandcamp, you know, it's okay. a good place so to go. Or iTunes. Teacher, Teacher Eric at ba uh, on Bandcamp and iTunes. And are you on social media? Yeah, yeah. And you can find me, uh, find me on Facebook and Instagram, Eric P. Home, Eric Powell Home. And uh, yeah, uh, I'd love to... Um, I love everyone to hear the music when it's when it's ready to go. I'm working with a producer now and making a country music in Brooklyn. <laughs> awesome. Well, we will check you out online and uh, and and thanks for taking the time to chat. Thank you, Matt. You've been listening to Flyover Folk. Our guest today has been Eric Holm. You can find more about Eric on our website, flyoverfolk.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Flyover Folk and find us on Facebook by searching Flyover Folk. Thanks again to the Royalists for our intro. You can find more about them at northwestofnowhere.com. <laughs>